Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello and welcome back to the Rangers Rabble. This is the Rabble Meets series um, on season two now and absolutely delighted to say that today my guest is former uh, Brentford Forest QPR and of course Rangers manager Mark Warburton. Mark, how are you doing? Stu, very well, thank you. I hope you're well. Yes, yeah, really well. I really, really appreciate this. Um, it's it's a real honour to, to speak to you. Gave me some great moments as a, as a fan so I can't wait to sort of dive into a couple of them with you. Um Usually I, I sort of go over a whole career, but honestly, I'll, I'll write out questions that could have lasted about four hours. So I'm going to try and cut them all down. Um, I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to sadly cut a bit of your playing career out as well and, and jump straight into the management, if that's all right. I'm delighted to um, hear that too. <laughs> so um, obviously I'm going to start where you've basically, you've hung up the boots, you, you've moved on from football, you've, you've gone into be a, a trader and, and from, from what I recall um, back in the media back then, a very successful one. You, you you make the decision to sort of give football uh, give I don't know if I made this quote right but is it ten years you said to to get involved in football and 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 make it work was was that for you just you know you just wanted to be involved in football anyway or was the ambition the aspiration always just to be a manager and and get your no, foot on the ladder that way not at all Stu it, bearing in mind the lack of uh, quality of our playing career I was a low level you know conference type player and. Lower, lower league. So for me, I, I always envisaged being in the youth game simply because I never had the career behind me that would open the doors and despite work ethic, that would open the doors to get me to the level, the, high, the higher professional level. So I literally um, was asked to go into an academy. I spent a year on my own money and time traveling around Europe, seeing the light. I've cold called so many clubs and it was a gentleman who's still a dear friend at Sporting Lisbon. He's now with FIFA, but he uh, opened a door, played golf with him, let me see Sporting Lisbon behind the scenes. And I, I spent that year, Stu, really improving my knowledge of youth players, development, um, everything about the youth game. What you know, the, He opened doors to go and see PSV, Ajax, Barcelona, Dortmund, you name it. He, this, this guy was magnificent. So that year was really well spent. And so I went back to, to Watford and took up a, a position in their academy with a far stronger base. I had a lot more knowledge. Um, let me rush through it, conscious, conscious of, of your time. I, I, I got on well with Eddie Boothroyd, the manager. I had a good relationship. It was interesting that people were fascinated by the city because at the time, there were huge amounts of money going through. People can't comprehend the amounts of money, but you know, he, he one of the guys came in and he said, oh, these guys, they turn over 20, 25 billion a day. And that was just our desk. One desk was 25, 20, 25 billion a day. And they couldn't, AD couldn't, you know, like, wow. And he wanted to understand what the teamwork in our environment was, the old environment was like, and how it might impact positively on the football environment. So got on great with AD, had some real superb mentors as to a guy called Dick Bate, who was so sadly passed, the best coach educator in the world, bar none, went far too soon, but respected by everyone globally. Um, people like Keith Mincher, psychology. There's Malcolm Mackay was there. Sean Dyche was there. Then after Aid left, Brendan Rodgers came through. And we had a really, it was a great learning curve for me. But still thinking there was no way I was going to get out of the youth side. And all I had to do then, all I had to do, what I wanted to do then was get as high as I could and realise that I had to get to a top six club in the Premier League to have any influence in the youth game. We'd set up a school. I helped with the people at Harefield Academy, the first school of its type in the country where we had 50-odd boys, years 7 to 11, were training like an education full-time. I couldn't understand why they could do it on the continent. And again, won't bore you, Stu, but the boys on the continent were getting three or four times of training time. So they go, oh, they're technically way better than us. Well, of course they are. You know, they're, they're training four times as much. So we, we introduced that. So it went really well. And then purely by chance, what for we in dire straits financially, 
and they wanted buyers. And at the time, I'd been introduced to new Matthew Benham, who's now the Brentford owner. And he was trying to buy Brentford, and he was having problems buying Brentford due to, to various issues at the time. And I brought him into Watford to see if he wanted to buy Watford. So he came in. We got on very well. He, of course, went on to buy Brentford. And I got a call at half one in the morning, I think. They got rid of the manager, a guy called Andy Scott at the time. And would I come in and be first team manager like to the end of the season, coach? So I did that. And that was suddenly, Stu, the door opened. And I got that chance to go and work with first team players. So I was up all night on trying to go through Google and look at the names of the players, all the stuff you have to do. But realised very quickly that nothing really changes. If you make the session enjoyable, if you talk sense to them, if they understand what you're trying to do tactically, technically, everything else, and if you provide the right environment for them as best you could, then they respond. And the players did that. So very lucky. And um, as I say, now I'm in a professional game. Yeah, I mean, that's incredibly fascinating. I, I didn't realise how much in, um, youth involvement there was. I was. What I was about to touch on as well was, was the whole Next Gen series as well, yeah. which was sort of, um, is it yours and Justin Andrews sort of brainchild there? And yeah. that, that, and again, thank you to Matthew Benner. Matthew funded it. And in truth, we were, what's the right technical term I could use? Shafted, I think it's probably the right term. Yeah, yeah I think it looks like that from, from the research. Yeah. Um, so we had this, everywhere we went, um, Justin's in the media. So speak to Justin, he's in the media side and he would film the adverts, so the Nike football adverts. And he's a very, very smart um, film producer guy. But everywhere I was going, they were saying to me it was so hard to make the transition from talented youth player to first team. It was too, you know, you you, you hear it yourself, you know, the, the Rangers youth team won 8-1 at the weekend. They won 14-0 the following week. They won 6 nil. There's not enough competition to prepare the talented player for the jump to the first team. And I was hearing it at PSG. I was hearing it at Barca. I was hearing it everywhere we went. And then I started dropping in and said, what about if we introduce a tournament? And Matthew was fascinated by it. And, of course, from a scouting perspective, you get access to look at the very best players around Europe. So I went around to Stuart with Justin. We, we went to so many clubs and they bit our hands off. But you have to understand the size of clubs we're dealing with. So, therefore, Matthew funded this. And that's what I'm saying. Enormous credit should go to Matthew for his vision, his foresight. He funded that we would fly the players. You know, they'd fly in on a Tuesday, for example, stay overnight. They would meet the they'd train at the training at the, um, the training ground of say Tottenham. Then they would play, and the games were taking place at the main stadiums. We were getting crowds of fifteen, twenty thousand. The first game was um, Liverpool versus Sporting Lisbon. I'm sitting there with Frank McParland, obviously you know from Rangers, Kenny Dalglish, who grew up was a legend, you know, of the game. And we're sitting there watching Sporting Lisbon dismantle a Liverpool team, which included the likes of John Joe Shelby, Raheem Sterling. Connor oh, wow. Cody, Andre Wisdom, Suso, they would take, you know, uh, Flanagan, John Flanagan, they were taken apart 8-1 on aggregate by this Liverpool, by this uh, Sport Lisbon team. But what it showed you was the level of the best players in Europe. I mean, I think you, uh, Liverpool bought a couple of the, the Lisbon players, Joe Texera being one of them. But it opened the eyes to the level. And then we had Spurs and suddenly these boys are playing in games and Harry Kane, Pritchard, all these, all these players that played in it. Um, all around. they got great Jack Grealish for Villa, etc. They all played and Jack Grealish's team won it the second year. Um, but they suddenly, Stu, had exposure to A, the best players in Europe, B, the the significance of having to win a game. You know, I think, yeah. I mean, Chris McCarter, Celtic, won't mind me, this is a Rangers podcast, but Chris was excellent in terms of the youth side of Celtic at the time. And they went to Barca and got absolutely drubbed by Barcelona at the mini-stad. But again, it was a learning curve. And the other side of it was the coaches would go for lunch and you'd share good ideas and practice. So you'd get, you know, Sport Lisbon would come and speak to Liverpool about what they do, how they train, rest and recovery, loading, game schedule, growth spurts, all the stuff that you would share. It was invaluable yeah. to do. And it went down a storm. And year two, we had 16 teams in the first one. Year two, we went to 24 and we had 40 odd teams waiting to come in. Um, so that's how popular it was. And, and then we had the TV deals lined up. They were going out live on Eurosport at the time. And Matthew and his staff did a great job. And then, as I say, the authorities came in and saw us as a, uh, a competitive European tournament. And, uh, yeah, basically scuppered us completely. Yeah. Was, was there never any uh, talks about merging or... or getting involved with UEFA or anything like that? You don't, you don't work, you don't merge, unfortunately. Right. 
we were seen as a threat. And I think, you know, it, I'm not going to speak out of turn here, but I think the threats to the clubs themselves went to the highest level. So we were told because it, it was gaining such popularity so quickly. Um, and as I say, some of the players were magnificent. You know, yeah. you watching obviously the English players coming through, how many of them are now playing Premier League, but the likes of Sergi Sampa at Barcelona, watching some of the very, very best young talents in the world. Uh, and it gave it gave the players that stage, that platform, that learning curve that they needed to then make that transition. And hence all these names, bear in mind that John Joe Shelby, Premier League and have a much of Raheem Sterling, one of the very best players in the world, Connor Cody, Andre Wisdom, Flanagan, Suso, all these various players. That's just Liverpool. And yet yeah. all these players, you know, the likes of Luongo at Spurs playing and I had Massimo at QPR. But again, Massimo comes in playing for Australia, international pedigree, you know, it's great career. Um, and they're all playing at the high level. And that, that I think that tournament was a really good learning curve for them, Stu. Yeah, that's... So, um, it's really interesting because when you're doing the research, you don't see that sort of back end of it. You just see the, well, you get the figures, basically. So, I was, I was seeing the players involved, but to, to hear how much went into it is was, was amazing, really. Um, to, moving back to then Brentford, then, so you, you get the job after uh, your Rosler leaves for, for Wigan. Um, you take them up second in the in the League One, sorry, you got the championship. First season championship, amazingly finished fifth as well. So, it's like an unbelievable jump straight away. Um, but I remember at the time hearing on the radio, I can't remember where I was sitting, I think I was at work and I was outside. I remember the radio coming through and, and they had announced on the radio that um, you'd be leaving at the end of the contract. And I just remember the sort of fallout, uh, uh, amazement really, that someone had you jumped up a league, you'd almost made the Premier League or had a shot making the Premier League and and then that was it. Was was that just a clash of, of the way you wanted things to go forward? Was there any chance you were staying on there? No, Um I'm sure I've repeated this story many times. I apologise if people have heard this. Uh, just, just in response to your question, really, Stu. Um, we were second at Christmas, I believe, to Bournemouth, Eddie Howe's Bournemouth. And as you say, people have underestimated us. And we were playing some really good football. We had some the likes of James Tarkowski, Moza de Bayou, Andre Gray, Hotter, Pritchard, Alan Judge, who you know, was moving to Newcastle for multi-millions. And we had a really good team. Joining that Stuart Dallas... Um, obviously from Leeds, Adam Forshaw from Leeds. And we picked these guys up young and the team was, was shown really good quality and we were surprising so many. Um, and at Christmas, Matthew's obviously uh, very, very skilled. If you look at Brighton and Brentford in terms of what these guys do, in terms of their recruitment, Matthew wanted to bring in a number of foreign players and I really felt strongly, Stu, that it would unsettle the dressing room spirit. It was such a great squad. I can't speak high enough for this group of players. And I felt it would unsettle it. And I think most people would agree. Matthew works off numbers. So the probability from his numbers would be that, you know, for example, these numbers are wrong, but to give you an idea, um, the probability of us going up might be 24.3% with the squad. It might be 26.5% with these players coming in. Therefore, we should bring these players in. And we always, we didn't, we never clashed. I've got enormous respect for Matthew. And let me start off by saying he's the owner. He writes the checks. It's absolutely right that he, can, he should do what he thinks is best. So I had no problem. But um, I said, we sort of argued about the players coming in, and I said, let's do it in the summer. No problem in the summer, pre-season, when you can integrate them slowly over time, but not when we are where we are in the league and we're really going for the Premier League here. Um, and then I was sitting with Davey Weir, and Davey Weir's in the office on Sunday morning, about two weeks later, and Davey Weir's got his glasses on his nose, and he's looked over at me and gone, Rayo Felicano, coach turns down Brentford offer. So he looked at me like this across the desk and he went, seen that? I went, no. I, he went, that's a game changer. Never forget, David Weir went, that's a game changer. I went, yep, certainly is. So Matthew is always honest. So I phoned him up straight away. I said, Matthew, I'm reading about Ray Bellicano. Um, should we have a lunch? Uh, he goes, uh, yes, we should. And that was it, Stu. So he wanted, he said, look, at the end wow. of the season, he got promoted. Full of respect, absolute respect for Matthew because it was his decision. I said, so if we get promoted to the Premier League, I'm still sat. He went, yes. I went, okay, what do you want me to do? Do you want me to go now or stay? He goes, would you mind staying? I said, no, that's fine. So that was wow. it. Maybe we and I. So he, the good thing is, um, the positive is that we had a really good year. We got promoted with Wolves from League One. We then had a run and lost out to Premier League to Middlesbrough. So we've come that close to the Premier League. So therefore, your stock's high. 
So I was very, very fortunate to have a lot of clubs coming in and offering me. And then it was when Rangers came in and Davey Weir, of course, there's two, there's two things. Rangers were huge, but at the time we in the championship. And therefore, you know, I grew up with the Rangers and the Red Star Belgrades and the Dynamo Moscows, all these, you know, these type of teams as a kid. But then at the time they're in the championship. And of course, you had some big English clubs coming in. Mm-hmm. So I was sort of umming and ahhing. And Davey Weir was, of course, you know, you've got this is Rangers. And then my son, I've said it so many times, my son came up to me and my son played football. He was in the academy right the way through, a young pro, pro at Leicester, went overseas to playing in the States. So he knows the game. And he played, he said, You, Dad, it's Rangers. And I said, yeah, no, but I've got this, 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 and this as well. And he went and he played me YouTube, Penny Arcade, Rangers Celtic. <laughs> it's about eight minutes long. And he said, listen to this and tell me you're not going to go to Rangers. And Stu, about halfway through, I looked at him and went, I said, if Rangers are there, I'm going to walk to Glasgow. And that, <laughs> that's what I said to him. And uh, so David Weir and my son were the two that looked, made, made sure. I always knew the size of the club. Yeah. Uh, but it was, a, it was a fantastic fit. But you have to choose wisely. You know, you have to choose as a manager, as a coach, as a player, in any business, you've got to choose wisely. But when he showed me that, and the team's coming out, and of course, Lee Wallace played in that game, in that, you know, looking at it, and obviously he was there, and look at that atmosphere and that passion. How can you not? It's an absolute privilege to be at a club like Rangers. So, yeah, that was a, that was the start of a magnificent period that I can't, I can't speak highly enough about. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if I've written good or predictable questions because you're covering like three or four at once as you're going through your answers. So um, I was just literally about to say about the, the uh, Rangers move. So obviously June 2015, you signed the Rangers. Um, I, I literally wrote it down that your stock obviously must have been high and then there must have been other offers on to what, but you've answered that. So that's fantastic. Um, first season, you bring a, quite a number of players in because it's, it's pretty much a rebuild for, from the, the previous season where obviously things didn't go to plan for us. Um, much like the Brentford days, you mentioned already Andre Gray, James Tarkovsky, bringing sort of value players in with, with good pedigree. Um, and, and it works. We get Wes Fodder in them, now at Sheffield United, and Martin Waghorn, of course, James Tavernier as well. What more can you say about Tav? Um, was, it, was it ever hard to convince these guys to come? Of course, we have the facilities, we have the stadium, but we're, we're obviously in the Scottish Championship and Scotland sort of frowned upon at the best of times, let alone being in the Championship despite the size of the club. No, so it's a very, very, you know, specific question, Stu. Um, I think, I think for me, we'd use the loan market well as well. If you think of the likes of Don Ball, you know, nothing a week at the time did a fantastic job for us from Tottenham's youth team. Um, Gideon Zalalem from Arsenal, you know, just eighteen, you know, that that fat, but but highly skilled. But again, first loan always difficult, especially at a club like like Rangers in terms of the size expectation. Um, players like Tav and Waggy, I mean, what we paid for the pair of them combined, you know, 260-odd thousand, I think there was. Um, that was fine. Where's Fodringham? I could speak to Wes. It's about meeting the players. When you're a manager or a coach, you've got to meet them. You know, the phone doesn't work. You've got to go there. You've got to meet them. You've got to hear them speak. It's not about just selling the club. You've got to know that they want to come. They, they, they ask the right questions. Where do they fit into the system? How do they see the progress, you know? They, it's making sure you have that two-way that two-way uh, understanding with them. Uh, and, and those players, the likes of Andy Halliday, outstanding. Rob Keenan was on his way to Birmingham. He was having a medical at Birmingham City. Uh, he was going there, and we literally kidnapped Rob Keenan to try and get him up the road here because, again, he's a championship centre-half coming in. Danny Wilson, you know, and you've got Lee Wallace and Kenny Miller, who are, again, magnificent servants, magnificent professionals. That's another question in its own right. But, but it was getting them, is making sure that the bits fit. You know, we we had we turned up on day one, Stu. You you said in your rebuild, we had nine players. Yeah, I think the chairman had let thirteen players go. If I'm right, um, and we literally had nine. And Barry Mackay was training with the youth team. I wanted to get ten, right? So Barry Mackay came up, and he was outstanding. In the first training session, David Rea and I looked at each other and went, "Why is he not with the first team?" And apparently he'd been out and it hadn't worked on loan. Barry Mackay was superb, you know, doing a great job now, but he was he was superb. So there's our 10th player at the time. And then we literally had to rebuild. So you had Wes, you had Tav, you had Danny Wilson, you had Rob Keenan, you had Holty come in, Andy Halliday, Don Balls, Alalem, you know, Waggy, 
So right the way through Ben Mackay County, it was a complete real but rebuild. And the guys that you had there, Dean Shields, Nicky Law, Nicky Clark, all these guys who were fantastic for us as a squad. But it was a real rebuild. And you were still, mm-hmm. this is a bit that obviously irks any manager or coach. We were bringing these guys in on peanuts. And people go, well, it's not peanuts for Livingston. It's not peanuts for St Mirren. Yeah. And, and that didn't matter, not being rude to those players, those clubs. It only mattered about Celtic. So therefore, we had, although we had to get promotion, that was a non-negotiable, to use a chairman's term. Promotion was indeed non-negotiable. Boys did great to do that. And then obviously the training cup and then getting the cup final and everything else. But we were still, I would say, 20% of Celtic's wage. You know, so when that when that everyone refers to that semi-final, was it magnificent? It was great. For, it was fantastic for the players. It was magnificent for the fans. It was a great day in, in, in all respects. But I looked at the midfield and you've got Dumble, Holty and Halliday on less than a half of one of the Celtic midfield players. And that, and that was my point. You know, the expectation suddenly went through the roof and we walked out the following season, probably answering one of your questions here, but we walked out the following season to go in for 55 on the opposite main stand yeah. there. And I'm going, and I just, my heart sank, not in a negative way, Stu, just that I knew our wage was still miles. The likes of Dembele and Scott Brown and McGregor were on mold and Tierney and Shurjenko were multiples of our players. So in any business, in any environment, 99 times out of 100, they're going to win. On that one time, we did. The boys did great on that semi-final. We deserved to win the game. We did. But nine times out of 10, you and I both know they'll win that because it's yeah. just economics of the, of the playing squad. So that was that was the biggest frustration for me, that the expectations suddenly went through the roof, but the squad did everything asked of them. As you say, they got promotion, they won a training cup, they got to, they beat Celtic and the semi, got the final when we just ran out of legs. Um, and we were in, now, in, you know, they're, in the, they're back here where they need to be, where Rangers deserve to be, but there's still a massive rebuild going on. And that's the bit that got, got muddied in the waters. Yeah, I mean, obviously I'll, I'll touch on the, the semi-final as well. So you, you do come in and win <clears throat> 11 games on the bounce, um, playing some excellent football as well. Obviously, we appreciate it's the championship, but still the football was excellent at the times. And, and it felt like from where we were, teams had stopped, even at that level, had stopped fearing us. And I think they got a bit of a rude awakening when, when they started going at Mark Warburton's Rangers and they were getting punished heavily for it. Um, was, was it always... Obviously, you said the, the league was non-negotiable, but was it always about laying that attacking foundation for, for the future seasons and, and, and you know, really having that attacking style of playing philosophy? Yeah, I think that that's a big part of it, Stu. Um, let me, I want to make sure I answer the question, but I want to get in some, some bits and pieces. When, like, if we go back to Brentford, we had that season with Middlesbrough. Where we lost to Middlesbrough in the, in the playoff for the Premier League. And we teams underestimated us. Uh, went into games probably a little bit ill-prepared, little old Brentford, and we hurt them. We hurt them badly. And what you realise is for the next season, you have to change again. Teams are going to work you out. So I look at, you know, Chris Wilder, Chris won't mind me saying so. Sheffield United come up to the Premier League. They've got three at the back, centre-halves bombing forward, Jack O'Connor and these guys bombing forward. And the Premier League were like, whoa, what's this? And Sheffield United did fantastic. Chris and his staff and the players did magnificent. Year two, they suss you out. Year two, they know what you're about. You've got to change. So even though we had this really great Brentford team, we had to add to it. We had to change it. You know, whether we went to go three at the back, whether we had to improve it. And we had to, you have to constantly evolve. So Rangers, Davey and I, and obviously Frank and Jim Stewart was superb. We wanted to lay down this attacking philosophy. We we knew we had to excite Galvanizer fan base. I saw the reaction the previous season and how the fan base were down. And we knew... You know, I knew straight away, Davey, of course, knew. But I knew it heart hearts that we had to excite the fan base. That first game at Hibs, 6-2, wherever it was. And, yeah. you know, the reaction and that took me, yeah, this is what they want. This is what the fans need. They need this because it's such a club. And where they are now, when the championship, we have to go to some tough places. Uh, we have to make sure the fans enjoy going to watch their team play. And that was always at the back of my mind. Make sure the fans enjoy watching the team play. And I think nine times out of ten, they did. You know, you, you have some tough times and then suddenly we have that game and you, you're not doubting yourself, you're making sure. But the, was it the Boxing Day game against Hibs when we we're neck and neck in the league? We'd been clear and then we were neck and neck and uh, it was a huge game. And I remember James Tav, Tav turned to me in the tunnel 
And you could see he was like, looked at me like, wow, because the noise was coming down the tunnel and it was the best iBox has sounded since we'd been there. It was magnificent. I can't even talk to you about it. I can feel the, the hairs. It was that good. And I had family there and it was just like, oh my God. And anyway, went out there and obviously what happened, they get the goal and Holty scores a couple, Waggy does what he does and it was a great day. And then we just went 11 points or 12 points clear to win the league. But it was those moments go, yeah, because the fans were magnificent that day. The football's good. And, and you know that's that's what Rangers want. You can never lose sight of that. But I knew, jumping ahead to that going for 55, I knew we had to change, you know, and I knew we had to look at what we're bringing in the squad, try and close that gap to Celtic. But I thought we had, we'd have more time. Uh, and in hindsight, now, if I'd known now, if I knew now what I'd known then, or vice versa, then I would have done things slightly differently. But it was making sure the fan base bought into the squad. And I've got to say the fans, were the, for the time I was there, Stu, I don't think we ever got, you know, booed or anything like that. I thought we were, the fans were great. They were backing us all the way. And there were days, and of course, they were disappointed in an 88-minute winner. And, you know, but I thought the fans were absolutely magnificent for the entire period. Yeah, yeah. Was, like you say, the, the sort of bums on seats analogy almost, isn't it? That, that's certainly what, what people want. They, they need a reason to, to go, not just the results. You, you want a, you want a um, performance sure. as well. As, I remember the Hibs game as well, the sort of whole shift and, and low deflected shot into the corner when I was going crazy. Um, it was it was a really good game and it, it felt like a premiership. That was the good thing with the Hibs games, I think. It felt like premiership games, even though we were in the championship and it was almost wetting the appetite for going back up. Well, we had the, that was it, the cup game against Dundee, 4-0. Where you had yes, Harry Forrester, yeah. Forrester scored the early one and then Lee Wallace strode through at the end, <laughs> you know, second half. And he sort of like sidestepped a couple of challenges and started at home. He just Lee Wallace is a class act. Um, but that that type of game prepared you. And I think that also sent a bit of a message out. Um, you know, obviously Celtic got to Ronnie and, and brought Brendan in and their recruitment was aggressive. And I think that was because they looked at that result against Dundee and, of course, the semi-final, and they realised that, you know, Rangers were moving in the right direction. Not not an arrogant from our, our point yeah. of view, but we were moving in the right direction. So I think those type of games are really important to you. Yeah, it's, it's funny enough, exactly where I'm going uh, to go to next is, is the semi-final itself. Um, there's obviously a few bits to, to touch on. The draw itself, when it's made, how are you feeling when, when you see that come out of the hat? Are you... Excited, confident, or you know, is it just business as usual, and and that's going to take care of itself when when the time comes? No, I get I get quite annoyed. Not I don't mean you, but when I hear people talk and they say it's just another game, utter ball, utter ball. It's an, it's an old firm game. The first for a while, it's Rangers against Celtic. It means so much to so many. So don't. It's not just another game. My my focus was on making sure the preparation was right. But you just can't keep the players aren't stupid. If I said to you, it's just another game, you'd laugh at me. Yeah. So the players would do the same. So you, but at the same time, you don't want to hype it that they, by the time it comes to the game, the, the rabbit's in the headlights. So it's just getting, again, the, the, the role of David Weir. He's been there so many times. Jim Stewart, Frank McParland from his Liverpool days and knowing the big games. These guys have had a vital role to play, fantastic role to play. But I was all about making sure the environment was right. So it's going to be special. It's going to be a big game, but we had to have the boys ready for it. And I've got to say, we sat at my hall um, and the night before the game, Stu, the boys were just buzzing. They could not wait. I'm, I'm looking around at Don Ball thinking, here's a young guy going into this type of game. How's he going to be? He couldn't control Dom. Dom was just ready to go then, you know, and Tav and Waggy and Rob Keenan's buzzing and all that. And you walk around and you, my right, boys, how are we doing? And you, you just hear their chat. And they couldn't wait for the game. And I said to Davey, I remember saying, Davey or Jim, this is, wow, the boys are just ready. They weren't hyped to that super hype. They were just ready. Um, and as I say, I think from the first kickoff in that game, they 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 they, 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 they played it out on the right-hand side through Tav. And I'm like, Don Ball switched it out to the far side. Lee Wallace lays it in the Barry Mackay. I'm thinking, now the boys are they're at it. They're ready. So that side was good. The prep, stew. All I remember is going to the stadium and the crowds getting deeper and deeper and deeper the nearer you got to the stadium. That was unbelievable. And Frank, I remember Frank turned to me, bearing in mind the nights that Frank witnessed at Liverpool over 20-odd years. He said to me, I've never seen anything like this. <laughs> and this is Frank, you know. So I was like, well, if Frank's saying that, then, you know, it means something. But again, it didn't inhibit the boys. They, they weren't 
they had, they had a buzz, a bit of nerves going out, but nothing that stopped them playing. And I was really delighted with the way they attacked the game, played the game. And as I say, for me, it went down to the wire, but I think we deserved to deserve to win the game. Yeah, one hundred percent. I mean, <clears throat> when we had Harry Forrester on, it, I mean, he said that the, the players all have belief in in not just you know believing that they could go and do that, but actually doing it in our style of football that that we had at the time and, and playing the attacking football. And to be honest, it was it was it was a weird one for me when I watched it because I was just remember that header going in and sinking because it it just felt like they'd got away with it because I, I generally felt at times we were playing them off the park and and Rob King especially I thought was absolutely excellent that day. Um, and then obviously Barry McKay's unbelievable finish as well was was outrageous. Um, we we obviously go through on penalties. It's it's absolutely amazing. Do you feel? I mean, you touched on a little bit. Do you think I was, that was not poking the hornet's nest, but it it was a big part of of I guess waking them up and and making sure that they they didn't yeah. sort of scrimp and save anymore. They were going out to to try and make sure that that we weren't as much of a threat. Yeah, I, there's two things that stick in my mind, and this is going to make me sound like a, an old dinosaur. I apologise in advance, Stu. But I, I, I would, I'd read it the days, days before. So when I landed in Glasgow, first time, uh, a reporter who's still a good friend said to me, there's always a good cop and a bad cop in Glasgow, in the press. He goes, right now, you're going to be good cop, one dollars bad cop. I looked at him, what, what on earth are you talking about? Great advice, great advice. And But I read, I was disheartened. Don't get me wrong. I appreciate Rangers Celtic rivalry. I get. I don't. Don't think for one second I don't understand every part of that. But some of the abuse that Ronnie received in the media was outrageous. Absolutely. I mean, down south, I've said many times it would never be tolerated. There'd be court cases left, right, and centre down south. Yet for some reason, people in in the media in Scotland felt they could get away with horrendous abuse of a of a, of a professional manager who's done a great job for the club. So when that whistle, final whistle went, if you look at me, my immediate reaction, obviously, the nation, the, I stopped for about 10 seconds because I'm thinking he is going to go through hell now, you know, in terms of what happened. I knew that and I was really aware of that. Then, of course, you all the celebration, where's he's running around. And I'm thinking, just because of a background in the city, you always think of consequences. And I'm thinking the expectation is going to go through the roof here. Great for yeah. the fans. I mean, great. The fans were magnificent. And uh, you look back at the videos, I, I'm digress. I apologise. I'm jumping everywhere. But I remember Sorry. the last penalty and the fans singing. And you can hear the Rangers fans singing as he steps up, Rogic should take the take the kick. And it was just, um, the sun's buzz off the back of this noise. And it was so loud coming down. And he, of course, he skies it, wears sprints around with his arm whirling. And, but, you know, that, I knew what it meant to the blue side. Fantastic. And all my mates, all the people, you know, good, good friends who had looked after me and my family in Glasgow. That was great. But I'm just thinking now the expectation is just going to skyrocket. And and that wasn't a downer. Don't get it wrong. It was a magnificent day and never, ever forget that day. But I just realised what the expectation was. And as you say, it prodded a club who had, at the time, had far stronger financial resources than we did. And it would in, impact their recruitment. Of course, Brendan then came in from having done so well down here. And he came in and with his demands in terms of players and the likes of Dembele coming on wages, which we could never get near, Stu. Mm. And that was my worry that they were making they were going to make a strong side even stronger. Um, so that was a that was a as I say, going to bed that night, of course, all the all the joy, all the all the delight of what happened that that 24 hours, but that nagging feeling that Oh, there's just, everyone now expects us to go toe-to-toe -to -toe with Celtic. And at the time, we always, the plan, we had to get level with and beat Celtic. That was a long-term goal. But it couldn't happen. That It could, just couldn't happen yeah. that quick. You had to be solid, sound, foundational steps, Stu. So that's, yeah, that's how that, that's my last, in, my last in thought of that day. Yeah, I mean, look, I don't want to say I jumped to the conclusions that day, but I was certain we were going to win 55 the next season after that performance alone. Yeah. It was, uh, yeah. it was just yeah. the thing, isn't it? It's, it's, that, it's that naivety I think you have as a fan sometimes. You think it's it's all black and white, and, and we played well that day, so we're definitely going to play well every day after that. Um, <laughs> we, we go on to the, the final, sadly, um, and, and lose that. Could you sort of pinpoint when that went? I know the media like to point at, sort of flippantly and, and say that we'd already thought we'd won the game, which I don't think was ever the case. No, not um, at all. Because I think we had a quite a bit of control at times in the game, but it was just sort of, it was moments, wasn't it, that I felt that game? 
it was a really scrappy game. I felt so. First of all, listen, before I get caned, I've never I'm not done anything away. Hibs won the game. Good luck to them. So, you know, what happened after that's different, but good luck. They won the game. But going into the game, we were so low in numbers. If you look at the team sheet, you know, we had a few injuries. Um, and then the players have been out and loan. The likes of Ryan Hardy, who's now doing well down at Plymouth and whatever, mm -hmm. we couldn't put them on the bench because they've been out and loan. So we, the boys are just running empty. We literally, and what if I look back and go, what could be done better? What I find really hard in Scotland was that gap of three and a half weeks between the end of the season and the cup final. I, we, we brought the boys down to play. We had to play, and had to. My good friend John McDermott at Tottenham got us a game to play against their youth stroke under-23 team because we couldn't find anyone to play. You know, how much time off do you give? Do you give the boys a week off and then start a mini pre-season again? You know, it was just so, so that side of it was so hard and a big learning curve. But I just felt we just had no energy on the day. Then Andy Halliday scores, and I'm thinking, right, you know, it's a scrappy, horrible game. We've done enough here to win this trophy. And then I was right behind the ball as it arrows in. And I'm thinking, great, we just, just need to be nice and solid now, nice and, you know, focused for the last 10 and we'll be all right. And, of course, two horrible set pieces and we were done. And, and it just drained out. And that was a horrible way to finish that season. But to get there on top of everything else, you know, it, you have to look at it and go, the boys did exceptionally well. So... Frustrated for the Rangers fans, frustrated for everyone concerned with the club, but it was um, maybe a, a bridge too far in terms of squad size and energy at the time. Yeah, yeah, um, Matt's touched on it. I didn't want to believe me. It was no, <laughs> too really. Um, so we, we go back up, first season in, um, back in the top flight. Were you were you expecting a, a bigger sort of transfer kitty at all? I mean, on paper, despite the lack of money, I felt the signings looked good. Obviously, Josh Windows come in after a very good season at uh, Accrington Stanley. He's obviously got on to do very well. There was a lot of hype around Jordan Rossiter. I think you know, a few people at the time couldn't believe we actually got that one over the line. And likewise with um, Jerry Barton, who had done so well the year previously. Um, but but obviously, the one sorry I was most excited about as well was Nico Kranchkar, um being you know from living down in Portsmouth. I've seen plenty of Nico Krankar and, and honestly, what a player he is. Um, probably never got the absolute best of him, but you could see in flashes just how ridiculous he was at times. But when you look back, was it was it just that we lacked the real financial muscle to compete? I mean, yeah, the, the player trader model wasn't even there either, was it? Yeah, and, and it's only really just happening now, our player trader model, which was which is such a big part of the club's finances. Absolutely right. Um, you know, again, the job that Frank did to get these players in, you know, Frank's one of the very best in the business, absolutely. So, you know, huge commendation for his work. But we we had the budget restrictions. It used to annoy the life out of me. I read one day that Rangers are paying Nico Crenshaw 25 a week. All this nonsense. Utter balls, you. Utter. I, I can't reveal what people were on. Fractions of. And I went to New York, and I'm like you, and I wanted to mix. I got a little bit... I'm looking at the, the game and you, you finish the season, Davey and Jim and Frank and I are talking and you're looking and going, we're really young. You know, Gideon was to go back to Arsenal, for example. Don Ball's young. Barry's still young. And you're looking around going, wow. You know, the likes of Tavernap are still young and you're going, they've got to deal with the Premier League and expectations now. So we need one or two senior heads. Clint Hill was the best, one of the best signings. Clint Hill, but again, unfortunately, that first game at Parkhead, he was injured. But that 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 Clint Hill was an outstanding signing. Huge respect for him. We wanted some cleverness. And I want. I thought myself, who's who's going to be like a mentor to the players? You want that technician to come in and the boys to go, wow, that's that's top draw. You know, when you go and see certain players play, yeah. I was, I'll jump forward. I was at West Ham last last year. And, you know, when you watch people like Declan Rice and Lucas Paqueta, Brazil. Oh, my God. And and it's, the academy boys see it, and that's the level. That is, you hear people say, oh, they're world-class. No, no, that's world-class. And when Nico came in, he, I flew out to New York to see him, Stu. And he was probably a stone overweight. He had an injury. He was playing, but he was great to speak to. I have so much respect for Nico. As a friend, as a player, magnificent. Um, but I knew in my head, we had to get him back. We had to get him fit. You know, simple as that. There was no, there's no, you can't rush that overnight, that injury. So again, I said, I said in the press when he first came, it's going to be late October, November before we see the best of Nico Crenshaw. And as you rightly say, he had a few games where he was just, you know, outstanding. Um, but obviously keeping him fit was a big problem. 
Um, Jordan Roster, yes, injuries for the for the, guard, for the lad were, were devastating at the time. You know, he's such such a talent, but he got rocked and rocked by injury after injury. And then, of course, the Joey Barton situation, which you know you've all been well well documented. But Joey had a great season in the championship with Burnley. Um, Sean Dyche is a good friend. Ian Wone, good friends, and did all the research and could not have made more calls about that. But it just didn't work. Simple as that, Stu, for a variety of reasons. We won't bore the audience with that, but for a variety of reasons, it didn't work. And and at the time, as I say, Celtic's recruitment and the money, the gap was too big. It was so big. Um, and it coincided with Celtic having the best year in their history, in yeah. their entire history. So, you know, I'm probably jumping forward. I knew where we were, but I knew the squad. We had to have some maturity, some some technical expertise, but we still needed to use a loan market wisely. And that, that was the frustration. We didn't have the funds to really go and get. You look at our clubs, use a loan market now. It can be so, so differential in term, differentiating rather in terms of the quality you can add. Um, you know, it, it opens up the whole squad to raise a level. And we never had the real backing, not the backing, that's so wrong. We never had the funds to go and do yeah. what we knew we had to do. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm going to have to jump forward myself a little bit. I wanted to, to go into sort of after Rangers and everything else, but I'm a bit conscious of the time. So um, just, just a couple more things. So just tying it into, I guess, current Rangers um, and, and and where the, the squad is now. Obviously, Michael Bill in the, in, has had to carry out some his own surgery, a bit like you did when you first come in, such a such a big rebuild. Results obviously haven't quite been there. Um, I, know, I know you'd back your, yourself in that situation, but... The fans are very fickle, um, being one of them myself. Is it a case when, when you're in that, is, is you, you've just got to try and trust the, the process and reap the benefits? Because I think we've seen, I mean, if we use yours, for example, um, QPR, so I've definitely written it down somewhere, um, but it was like a, it was a poor start to the season for you at one of the, was it the second season of QPR? And then you have this October to December run where it's absolutely insane. Is that just, is that what can happen when, when you reap the benefits of players gelling and, and finally understanding yeah. the, the style? There's a number of factors, Stu. Um, you're right. Uh, so players, I look at the team now and Namas and the Dessas and the boys, Seema coming in and, and Danilo and these boys coming in. I, I looked at West Ham last year and their recruitment was world-class players, you know, 30, 40, 50 million pound players, the likes of Maya Fagard, an outstanding, you won't see a better left foot in football as a centre-half, Morocco World Cup semi-final, Lucas Paqueta, first choice for Brazil. Um, you look at uh, Emerson, left back, you know, Italy and, and Chelsea and Champions League. And you look at Tilo Kehrer, 35 caps for Germany. You look at Gianluca Scamacca, you know, 30-odd million coming in from, from Italy. But the, it takes time for players to adapt, you know. And, and I look at this year's recruitment and, of course, enormous respect and friendship to those boys are unnamed. But then if you suddenly go, the likes of James Ward-Prowse, for example, coming in, who knows the Premier League, also the big thing about Harry Maguire, whoever, but it's, it's, it's about knowing, um, excuse me, just doing that. it's about knowing the league, Stu. And it, otherwise, some boys can take time to settle. And we saw it at West Ham last year. Um, and you know, suddenly after Christmas, they hit the ground and bang, away they go. So yeah, you've got that situation with Mickey now, or Michael now, rather in terms of the players that he's signed. In what in terms of your point, yeah, sometimes you can be everything can be right. So that QPR that you mentioned, I was probably a game away from getting a sack, and we were battering teams, and we could not score. We had one game against Bristol City, where I forget the, the exact data, Stu. It was something like we had sixty-eight percent possession, twenty-seven shots to two, literally. We had six clear-cut chances, and we lost two-one. And you sit there and go, "How do I got the players?" We've yeah. just, and I think Nigel came up to me and went, "You've killed us." He went, "I'm, I'm embarrassed to shake," and it's so, and you just can't. That football, that's that's life. But you knew you were that far away from it clicking. And I went for dinner with with the senior people at QPR, and I knew I was a game away. And had we lost to Wickham and not drawn, we we're away at a tough place to go, one up, and just again couldn't put the ball in the back of the net. Late equaliser, and hung on to a job. And then from that moment on. We were second for the next year, 2021. We were second only to Man City in terms of points, goals, etc. Wow. So that's that's and but it's the same squad of players. 
And that's how the madness of the game stewed. So it can suddenly click, it can suddenly drop. I haven't seen enough of Rangers. I've done some games for Sky, but I haven't seen enough, you know, as you have, to say, are they playing well? Are they whatever? I'll just speak to Neil Benfield, who's with me at QPR. But I haven't seen enough of them this year. But again, there's sometimes when you, the team is playing well, it's gelling, you just cannot get the final reward. So yeah. I hope very much that, you know, that it does drop in, the penny does drop and everything clicks together. Because when it does, you know you've recruited well, the team are enjoying the squad, they're enjoying how they're playing, they're enjoying their football, and you're in a good place. Perfect. Um, and just to wrap it up, just some quick, I guess it's only like three one-word answers you can give me. Um, it's just sort of best players you've coached, things like that. And it doesn't have to be the best in talent. It could be the best influence, whatever you, you know, determines that to you. So, starting off, best, best player you've coached? Oh, well... Um, I've got to have a look at my clock here. I've got about eight minutes, Stu. So okay. uh, I've got a bit of time. Listen, that's a real tough one because, as you say, you've got professionals like Lee Wallace and Kenny Miller. You know, apart from being outstanding players, just top professionals, you know, captains, leaders, mentors. I jump ahead. You know, I look at the Brentford days and some of the players there who've gone on with the Tarkowskis and David Buttons and Forshaws and Stewie Dallas, who we got for £5,000 from Northern Ireland. What a player. What an individual, you know, terrible injury he suffered, but hopefully he's coming back from that. But then you jump ahead to West Ham and and, it, and you're saying that suddenly you're working with the likes of Declan Rice and Lucas Paqueta and they are world-class players. So there's nothing detrimental to to the Rangers or the Brentford players or in, in any shape or form, or QPR or Forest. Forest, you're working with Ben Brereton and you've got some great players, Joe Wall and all these guys who are, who are still there and playing well. Um but when you look at the, the top, top level, you know, I, when I look at Dr. De- Declan Rice and, and Paqueta, wow, or Pakatar, as they say, wow, in, in terms of athletes, in terms of their character, um, I've got to say Declan for obvious reasons because he's just moved for £100 million to answer. <laughs> no, I've got to say that to answer your question literally, but what a character, what a tremendous attribute for any dressing room or club. And I'm, I've got no doubt he'll just thrive at Arsenal. So, if I had to answer it with one with one name, it'd be Declan. Brilliant. Um, best player you've seen play against one of your sides could be just an individual performance, or again, just talent alone. Wow, one of my sides as a manager. Yes. Um, well, that's an interesting one. That's a tough question. That one. I've got to think back to various players, but you know, I mean, even. This sounds stupid because I'm, I'm picking out world class names here. We played right. Derby. We played Derby in the Championship QPR at Derby, and Wayne Rooney played for Derby, and uh, obviously passed his best. He won't mind me saying that, Wayne, in terms of you know leaving Man U and whatever else, and obviously going to manage Derby and the great job he did there. But we won the game QPR. We scored in the last minute to win the game two one. Um, but I was right on the touchline, a bit like Andy Halliday's the other end. I was right behind, and this ball has come out to Wayne Rooney, and he's hit it first time on the half volley. A sweeter half volley shoe you will never, ever witness. And I'm behind it, and this thing is arcing in, and it's clipped the outside of the post and gone away. And he just turned away as if it was, you know, one of those things. It was just, it just showed what a, now obviously, like Nico Crenshaw passed his best, but just an outstanding world-class talent. So just you look at their movement and their touch and you just realise the level they've played at and their the game knowledge and understanding is superb. So, so to, just to say the fact that it's such a career that he had, I have to say Wayne Rooney. Brilliant. Um, and best team you've come up against as a manager or toughest team you've come up against because it's not always the same? No, it's not um, as a manager. Well... Um, Again, really interesting one. We probably came up against Bielsa's Leeds at QPR um, away. We beat them at home, but away, just the physical running nature of the team, mm. the dynamism of the team, Stu. They, they they run many teams off the park, especially at Ellen Road that, that year. But Marcello's influence and, and how the players were buying into that in, that, in terms of the physical power of that team, that was quite frightening. And then you just got to look at, you know, when you come up at Nottingham Forest, we came up against Chelsea in the Carabao Cup and we had weekend games. We both did. Chelsea and, and Forest had big games at the weekend before and the weekend after. So I'm thinking, I'm thinking Conti's going to go 
he's going to go weak. And all the indications from the press were that he's going to go weak. So I thought, right, I've got to rest a few and just do what I can do. I could be in a massive game. I think we had Derby yeah. coming up, wherever it was. So I thought, right, just try and go, keep a core for obvious reasons, but try and bring in one or two young ones. And and we turned up and it was just Chelsea's almost, Eden Hazard. I saw Hazard's first name and I just reeled off all of these world-class players. I thought, oh my God. And that's probably the best team. They they beat us 5-2 and I'm lucky it was only 5-2 because that, that team was so good, Stu, it could have been anything. But it was just, um, as I say, just watching that team in their full full pomp and flow. And and speaking to him, he didn't didn't have a drink like with managers after the game. He has a cup of tea before the game. And it was a good 40, 45 minutes spent just enjoyed the conversation. You know, he asked good questions and vice versa. Um, but that was a, just an outstanding team to come up against in terms of us being a championship team. Wow, amazing. And final, final question. Um, you've obviously just been at West Ham in, in, in that coaching capacity. Amazing achievement because we've gone on to, to lift the Europe Conference League. Um, what, what does the future hold for Mark Warburton? Is it, is it looking to get back into a senior management role? Is there, is there yeah. been offers that maybe haven't quite taken your fancy? No, I think it's um, David Moyes and I have been friends for a long, long time. We played golf. I've been just by chance, got the same vacation resort for years and years with the kids. And we've been friends. And I found it really difficult, you know, being number one for so long and being in charge in the city as well for so long. Mm. And then to be a number two, it was really hard. And that's not egotistical. That's just, you know, someone would say, what time's the bus leaving? Uh, we'll leave it. And then, oh, so stop my decision. It's, yeah. And it's, it's, it's constantly like that. And I found it really, really tough and different playing philosophies as well. And I was brought in for that reason. But at the end, it was getting that I was, I felt myself, my job was to support David and to make sure I gave him the best opportunity to succeed. And I just felt I was cashing so often that it was the right thing to do. We won the cup on the trophy on the Wednesday, had the parade on the Thursday. I called David on the Friday morning. I said, I think for the sake of our friendship, we probably need to, to part here. So it was my it was my choice to do that, and and he looked after me, and everything was done. So full respect for David, and everyone at West Ham. But I think the the negative of that was everyone presumes Stu that I was walking straight into a job, but I didn't. Yeah. I knew I had to do that. Um, I've got aspirations. The MLS certainly appeals to me. I like the idea of that challenge, but I've got to face, being brutally honest, the the market down here is to go for younger, ex-player types. You know, John Hughes yeah. is a dear friend of mine. Great coach, but there's John, the likes of Scott Parker, the likes of Rosinia, Liam Rosinia and Lampard and Stevie G and all. They're going for that type of Bob Edwards and all these players are coming through and it's really hard to break into at the moment. And there's a lot of very senior Chris Wilder, you know, Dean Smith, Craig Shakespeare, these type of Alan Pardew, managers with BCVs who are not working. So I've got to, I've got to you know, I'm very, very keen. I'm a bear with a sore head when I'm not working. Um so I need I need to find the right challenge for sure. But you've got to make sure you choose wisely, Stu. The worst thing you can do is rush into something. So I hope very much my CV is strong enough that people see it. Um, I'd love to get back into management, you know, head coach, senior manager, whatever it is. I'd love to do that. Um, but I've just got to keep my ears and eyes open and hopefully someone um, likes what they see. Absolutely fantastic. Mark, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for, for taking time out of your day and coming to join us today. Uh, Stu, so really enjoyed the conversation. Nice speaking to you. Brilliant. Thank you very much. Cheers. Thank you. All the best. See you soon. Sports Social Podcast Network.